So I've been waiting for this day for a long time, guys. And I know you have too. The day we finally get to discuss G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe Retaliation. <laughs> Part 2. Coming at you. Long awaited, long demanded. G.I. Joe Retaliation. Uh, commentary track. So grab your Blu rays, <laughs> pop on the couch. But it's I had a right. dollar for every time a listener emailed us asking us to do this. I just <laughs> would be. So not rich. Well, I think we're actually doing what would be considered the complete opposite of that tonight and talking about a musical, a musical that uh, I've been looking forward to for a long time based on the trailer alone and the director's past work, uh, La La Land. And this is one that is a limited release. We apologize if you haven't gotten to it yet, listener. Uh, pre-spoilers, the people that do listen, pre-spoilers. Um, it's not out wide yet. I do believe, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, that it is coming out wide here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, I think it'll get wider. It's at like 750 theaters right now. So <laughs> it, I would imagine it would expand a little bit as they push, because this is definitely going to get a lot of Oscar buzz. So I would imagine it gets wider as they push towards that. But yeah, still not still not sure why uh, it got such a, a short or a small release to begin with. It's pretty stupid, but uh, so be it. And perhaps the only, only, and we'll talk about this maybe more in depth, uh, the only enjoyable picture in Summit Entertainment history. So, <laughs> I'm excited for that. But, we're joined by a guest tonight to talk La La Land and other things. Uh, she is known on Twitter at Reviews by Lauren and on the web at TheReviewWeekly.com, I believe. Yeah. Hi. Great. This is Lauren <laughs> Chancellor. And uh, excited to have you on because uh, you post a lot of awesome reviews and things on Twitter and uh, interact with the show and are always always have good things to say about movies and culture. And you review basically everything, which is awesome. You have a lot of a lot of tools, a lot of theater, a lot of theater, too, which is cool, which applies yeah. to the movie tonight as well. So mm -hmm. glad to have you. But. Again, we're going to talk kind of the complete opposite of La La Land to start off. And uh, since we are, and actually we got the plaque in the mail over the holidays, guys. Uh, official podcast of Star Wars. Got the plaque. Oh, finally. Uh, finally. Authenticated. By an authenticator. <laughs> uh, it's on the wall here in the studio. I'll tweet out the photo at MAM underscore podcast and enjoy that. So official podcast of Star Wars. We got to talk Star Wars news. And this is like double, triple mad about movies news time because worlds are colliding guys the american treasures world is colliding once again with star wars and that's never the american treasures cinematic universe it's, yeah it's it's a formula that's never uh been wrong and it's never not worked out uh the, the the combination of american treasure and the star wars universe can only result in in good we think we hope but based on a couple other movies that might not be the case uh, so Woody Harrelson involved in Star Wars? You say what at home? What? 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 Um, yeah, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> the um, the role, I guess, 
maybe makes a lot more sense than you would think. Brian, kind of tell us about what he's going to be doing. Yeah, it looks like he's. it's still rumored, so it's certainly not official yet, but uh, we're excited to talk about it. But he, he could be the Han Solo mentor. So the Obi-Wan Kenobi in rogue form, perhaps, to Han Solo's, to young Han Solo learning to be uh, the brash, arrogant, awesome, uh, galactic human being that we know him to So be. the ultimate scoundrel of scoundrels. Yeah. Would be... Would yeah. Be awesome. awesome. I'm in. <laughs> Jinx. um that is that's going to be really fun just to see kind of i guess it kind of gives you a sense of the screenplay and kind of the vibe the the tone they're going for with this movie uh when you bring somebody like woody on board i think you kind of know what you're going to get as far as if you're doing anything comedic at all Mm -hmm. um he obviously does his dramatic stuff but i wouldn't think that Oh, love True Detective. We're going to get him in the Han Solo. You know what I mean? I wouldn't think it would be that. I would think it would be yeah. obviously his role. I mean, he showed a lot of versatility as an actor. And now you see me too. I'd be able to play two characters. I mean, <laughs> not a lot of people can play themselves twice. Uh, just yeah. two Woody Harrelsons. Uh, it's pretty yeah. tough to do. Only he can do it. We did have a couple of listeners tweet at us and uh, their excitement uh, that this was going to cross over with Now You See Me, that we'd, uh, we'd, see <laughs> Woody, we'd see both Woody Harrelsons and then suddenly realize that Now You See Me actually took place in a galaxy far, far away. So pretty excited <laughs> for that opportunity, to be honest. Turns out Ruffalo was Vader the whole time. He just, <laughs> he, he unmasks himself. Um, it's, it's a dramatic moment. But speaking of Star Wars, Lauren, have you seen uh, Rogue One or any yes, recent? Yes, yeah, I movie? saw it last week. Finally. Uh, thoughts? Any uh, immediate thoughts or, I guess, general thoughts, I mean, as we like to it, call it? I liked the last 30 or 40 minutes of it much more than I liked the start. Sure. And I feel like some of the characters' uh, actor choices were a bit off. And, yeah, it, it kind of underwhelmed me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely on the Force Awakens was better, <laughs> friend. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which the, seems the, unpopular for some people to hear. Yeah, the re- kind of the reviews I've gotten just from kind of friends and family is that really liked the movie, enjoyed myself, but didn't really care for anybody in it, like the the actors or the characters, uh, which is yeah, fine. Exactly. Um, but I think it kind of works as an ensemble uh, in its own kind of weird Star Warsy way. And spoiler alert, what happens at the end um, is kind of just like, well, we don't have to see these people ever again. So that's fine. You know, <laughs> it's like I no one's really, no one's really hurt. Though. You know, I, 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 I think some of that's that. purposeful, though, because at the end of the day, it's Disney movie. And I don't think they wanted you to get too close like they would with a normal because they know the whole know, time that, they, I like, think, what's going to die. I don't know. So I like, think they could if. I think they could have spun this some way if, if like, they, if, if like everyone's just like Diego Luna is the next Tom Cruise after this came out. <laughs> I think they would be like, yeah, we'll consider like some kind of Diego, you know, some kind of Caspian kind of spinoff Rogue One kind of thing. I think they would do that. Um, like the fact that they even kill off K two S O in Rogue One. Nope. Yeah, I guess spoilers, but um, the oh, fact that, that killed me. I mean, I mean, everybody dies, so there's no spoiler. Everybody dies, but but Vader really, um, and the Empire. Um, but yeah, it, why, why, why would you not want to bring him back as a droid? I mean, he's there, there three PO's been in every movie or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they, that wouldn't be a weird thing. I don't want to kind of cross droids over into the different movies or universes. I don't know. 
I'm rambling here, but thoughts on Harrelson, Richard? I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm always pro Harrelson Sands uh, aforementioned Summit Studios <laughs> joints, and so um, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see how marijuana fits into the Star Wars galaxy, <laughs> Star Wars universe, rather. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for. They go to this all green planet, and Woody yeah. Harrelson's yeah. there. I guarantee you, it's going to be that. It's going to be an all green planet where they go meet Woody Harrelson, I, and he's going to like come out of the mentor. smoke and be like, "Han, is that you?" <laughs> I guarantee. I hope he has yeah. like a cool hemp vest. That'll be yeah. a, that'll be a gag. Like, like that, man, I like that vest look. Yes, and that's. that's, that's <laughs> that'll be a, a a gag that Lord Miller would throw into this. The fact that he's in like a. Green, like something like you know, like you know that's coming, and there's some re- going to be some Just reference, a cloud of smoke falling. To, in yes, there. exactly. Uh, awesome. Um, that, that's exciting news. With Lando. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's exciting news. Um, so what's the release? I guess it's two years from now that we'll see. I guess think they're yeah, starting they photography kind of uh, the next couple months. Yeah. I think they're that. talking. There's been some rumor that they're going to push it up to like a summer release, maybe June of 2018. But I think that would kind of jack up their timeline. I, I imagine it'll end up staying in the uh, in the December release calendar. Yeah. So uh, a few other Star Wars things kind of came out today. Um, so people are kind of op- some of the writers and editors are kind of opening up about Rogue One and what kind of really happened with the reshoots and. Uh, the story changing and all that, and a lot more than you think. Probably uh, they added a lot more dialogue, a lot more, um, I guess, relationship between the kind of like what we suspected between Jen and her father. And I think this, they they said that the scene where they snipe uh, on the uh, the moon planet is was basically all added in reshoots and. There a lot of a lot more stuff, so I can't. I guess it's kind of we were kind of wrong in saying over the summer that oh it's fine. They probably didn't do anything, and I think we kind of saw evidence in the movie that yeah they probably did a lot, you know. And mm-hmm. I think this is kind of yeah. kind of some confirmation about about all that. So I don't know how I feel about that to be honest. I, I wonder what could have been, and I think Ben Mendelsohn came out and said there's a vastly different movie out there somewhere that. Y'all need to see. <laughs> I think that's what he said at like some uh, award show or something recently. Mm-hmm. So, huh. I'm with him. I want to see that movie. <laughs> I want. I want to see what yeah. happened. I want to see. I want to see if it's better or worse. And I, more than anything, I just want to see what uh, Gareth Edwards envisioned versus what the you know Disney slash Gilroy slash just you know the whole the whole conglomerate that makes these decisions what they wanted to happen. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, Get, let me get your opinion on this. Should they release it on the Blu-ray, like just director's cut um, Would that be bad know, for Star Wars? I know they will not. Like it will never. I mean, beyond somebody uh, copying it illegally and posting it on a YouTube every other day as YouTube pulls it off every day, um, that's the only way we'll ever see it. So, should they? Uh, that's a that's a different question. I don't know. I don't know if they should or not. I def I desperately want to see that cut, but I don't. I know it will never happen. So I don't. I don't know if should or or should they not. I don't know if that. Uh, I'm taking. Plays in. I'm taking it upon myself, Brian, and <laughs> people out there. I know we have a lot of connections out in L.A. and New York. 
uh, the numbers kind of point that direction. If you can get us a HD copy of Rogue One, and you can send it to our email, high def, it'll be completely anonymous and all that. I will yeah. edit a version of Rogue One <laughs> that is better than Rogue One. I promise. <laughs> I will edit it down. I'll cut the crap. Let's do this. And that'll be kind of the, the, the fan yeah. version of the movie. And, and I, I, I promise you, I, I will 100% do it and put it on Vimeo for all to see. And uh, <laughs> that is going to happen. So as soon as the... I, as soon as the HD version comes out, like screener version or something, <laughs> I'm doing it hundred yeah. percent. Cool. Well, I assume for them to get that to us, they would have to climb to the top of a very tall tower. And, uh, and that's the only way to get it through the planetary shield of LA to send it to us. But I, I hope somebody could do it. Hopefully, hopefully no tie fighters interfere with that process. Yeah, no, I, I think, um, they should release it. I would, What's more Star Wars than having multiple versions of a Star Wars movie out there in the ether? You know, that's the, yeah. that's what every the Star Wars fanboys kind of love is that they can compare versions and argue about it. I mean, nothing. Mm. I would think they would want to kind of create that conversation and just to kind of say, hey, for the older fans, I want more mature fans, maybe that can handle a movie like this. Here it is, you know, and don't show it to your kids if they can't handle it at first. They don't have to know about it, you know. Um, I, I, I think, I, w- I think there would definitely be a market for it, but I think you're right. I don't think it'll ever happen. Come on, Gareth. You've got it. Just, <laughs> dude, just, just come on, dude. Just, you know funny? just this throw it out time. there. Just, just kind of throw it out there and just <laughs> see if it, you know, if people react better and I think they might, uh, and I think they actually would, I think they would maybe change their minds a little bit about Rogue One as a movie. So I don't know. Any other any other news items though, Brian? Oh, well, we could uh, we could talk uh, we could talk Batman if you want to. You want oh, yeah, to yeah. delve into? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's ask our let's ask our guys. Lauren, have you seen have you seen Batman v Superman and or Suicide Squad? Yeah, and I was disappointed by both. They were <laughs> oh, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which Fair. one was worse? <laughs> Which was worse? Yeah. Oh, that's I mean. Yeah, that is. Well, I saw Batman vs. Superman on a plane. Oh, so the way it was comes... intended to be seen. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so maybe I'll go with that one. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Well, um, Ben Affleck, I guess Brian is pulling yeah, out of the project. Kinda hedging, uh... He's hedging his bets a little bit. He's, he's, uh, he's kind of made it clear to... Anyone who will listen that he is not 100% in on this project and that, quote unquote, if the script doesn't come together, then he's he's going to bail. So in other words, I have seen the <laughs> I've seen the reactions to Batman v Superman. I do not like where this is headed. I should probably do something else with my time, which we we hope I think we all agree with. But, you know, yeah, yeah I, I I think it's just kind of he's sitting, you know. <laughs> that that viral video that went out of Simon and Garfunkel <laughs> playing over him, just staring into space, is so classic. But yeah. I think he just kind of had one of those moments. Like, do I really want to be involved in this universe for hey two and a half more years, three years at least, mm-hmm. just to make this yeah. movie? And then who knows after that if it's successful, they're gonna hey yeah, I'll get paid a lot to do it. Sure, you get paid a lot to make a you know, a Justice League movie or another Batman movie if it is successful. But do mm-hmm. I want to do that? 
No, I'll right. just make Live By Night 25 times. No, well, and, and <laughs> true, he, he comes from a place where he's already been on the outside of Hollywood sure. in a way because his career he took such a terrible indie, turn. Yeah. Yeah, movie um, with that, I mean he, I, yes, I, I would so, think he would more embrace like the art of like directing and writing right. in your own movie than doing a big studio Hollywood movie. I would think so. Well, even beyond that, I think he knows what it better than anyone what it feels like to uh, to be on the outside looking in, and would I would assume would want to protect uh, his ability to make movies like Argo and the Town and and so on and so mm-hmm. forth because. Right now, it's coming across as a, as somebody who uh, got into a deal that he maybe didn't really want to be a part of, but did so because it gave him the opportunity to make Live By Night. And I, I think he's kind of had just free reign at Warner Brothers since he signed on there. And I, at this point, he's got to be looking at it thinking... Is that is it worth it? Is it worth it to keep to keep doing this and putting myself through this? I and I, he's a smart guy, so I don't I don't know that that's gonna last. I look, I'd be thrilled if he pulled out. I thought he was the uh, I don't know if he was the best part of Batman v Superman, but I under I could see him as a Batman and as a Bruce Wayne, not Snyder's Batman and Bruce Wayne, but like where he whatever he wanted to do with the character, the characters uh, in his own right, but I. I don't know that I'm dying to have him do that. And I kind of hate to have him waste a two years or three years on a project that's not really truly, it's probably not going to be up to his, what he's capable of doing behind the camera. So get out, man, get out while you still can. Yeah. I think the question is, is can he do that much steroids? I mean, you you think about the three years of the roids. I mean, it's probably, do I really, does (laughs) it, You know, with Zach, like, looking over your shoulder all the time and busting down your door like old Zachy does. Just making sure you do your roids. Uh, can he handle that for three years? I don't know. Yeah. Ah, that's the takes, question. Takes a toll on your body. It just looks weird, man. Like, I see him in the trailers for... Yeah, seriously. I see him in the trailers for Live By Night, and he doesn't even look like the same person. His shoulders are 18 feet wide, and it's it's just kind of unsettling to be honest it's it stresses me out yeah no it looked every trailer i see for live by night i just keep thinking he looks real <laughs> weird in all of those scenes yeah. <laughs> Seriously. it's hard to believe him sometimes uh it's just he's yeah. just one of those actors that kind of he's he just doesn't fit or he fits perfectly uh he's just <laughs> he, he's never like affleck um he you know say in a movie like daredevil he didn't fit at all as a a blind superhero or b in a superhero movie, and then you put him as Batman, and you're like, wow, that works. Like it's it's just a weird context of this the movies that he picks that make him look bad or awesome. It's a weird in between that you he's never really just uh, mediocre. It's Geely or it's or it's Argo. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's got a very ADD career and needs to figure it mm-hmm. out pretty mm-hmm. soon. I, I think Live By Night is going to be like a, a a pretty big Razzie move type move. I don't yeah. know. I the, agree. The, yeah. Given the release date and the trailer and everything pointing that direction, I would not be surprised if that one does, does, is not a, a positive for old Batfleck going forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I say get out while you still can, Ben. I, I, I say the same thing. And I, I want him to do what he wants to do, but 
I don't want him to be involved in this universe anymore. <laughs> I don't want yeah, anyone I, I like to be involved in this I universe. I want I want him to take Amy Adams with her. I want him to save her from from these terrible movies. Get her I honestly think a director like Tarantino or somebody needs to swoop in and save DC. I'm not even kidding. Oh, you think it's possible though? No. I <laughs> no. think it's possible. But, Do I think it's possible to get a good director in the DC universe? Yes. To save see, the DC universe. Yeah, oh, see, yeah. that's that's two different things. I that's think, stuff. yeah, I think they so need a break. You can't completely change tone. Yes, exactly. To that extent. Yeah. yeah, I think they need a break. I need. I think they need a full. We're going to take five years off from this and just start over somewhere, somewhere else down the line because we have screwed this up so badly. But they won't because they're making money and they don't care. Mm-hmm. We've seen that. All the behind the scenes stuff that we've that we has leaked out. We know that they just they don't care because they're. I don't know. A a Tarantino Riddler movie would be, (laughs) I'm not even kidding. Like a suicide squad. If he had done suicide squad, I mean, if he had wrote the script and that you pitched him, all right, do an ensemble movie about the DC villains. And you know, you you basically have your pick of all of them, all their personalities. I, that would have been a better movie than suicide squad. I'm just saying even a PG 13 version, you know what I mean? Like (laughs) it wouldn't be weird to see somebody like do do that at this point i i would not i would not put yeah. them put it past them to go get david fincher to make a, a dc movie and to say we're, we're done with crap this is our hugest investment and we have to invest properly in it and reboot yeah. it and reboot it all blow it all up i mean, yeah. I mean justice league comes out do. and that's done that's- and wonder yeah. woman's already shot and that's done and you can you can reset after that i think I don't think yeah, you can, yeah. But I don't think they will. I think that's. <laughs> I think they're still a couple of years at least away from from that happening because they are so hardcore. They're so gung ho on competing with Marvel that they can't. They just can't do it the right way because we're seeing it with the Flash. We've heard all the stuff about Wonder Woman behind the scenes. That Justice League trailer is friggin' terrible. I mean, like it's it's how I don't know how you can do. I don't know how you do Batman v Superman and uh, Suicide Squad in the same year and get the reception that those movies got and the critical just reviling that both of those movies justifiably received <laughs> and the fanboy reaction and all of this and still come out saying, you know what we need to do? We need to go ahead with our plan and have J- Zack Snyder direct Justice League. Like, it's a terrible idea, but they, how do you not learn that lesson? It's, they've got so many. I think that's just that they've got too many things going and they can't sit back. They can't stop. They can't stop themselves and try to figure out a better course. Like you're, you're a hundred percent right. Kent, because we, we both said on Batman v Superman, when we did that episode, which seems like eight years ago, that it should be impossible to have a bad movie that features Batman and Superman. It should be impossible. And in, not only is it bad, like that's a world-class failure. So that didn't change their mind. So what? What's going to at this point? You know what? What? What reversed his course? I, I, Chris Nolan coming back and saying, "I'll do this, but you got to fire everybody else involved." I, I don't know. Like it's, it's, it's amazing to me that they haven't already corrected course, and I think we're in for another bad year of it. And that's the exact problem as well, because if you kind of 
push like they'd have to stop right now but with the momentum they have like they're gonna let the next movie come out and then if it's still if that one does badly too which it will then i assume then (laughs) then like they will have to stop then but they'll still have another movie or a half of a movie made that they have to then try and correct that like when do they yeah it's just this constant like they're they're just running over themselves overlapping Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, they're stuck in a loophole of just awfulness over there. <laughs> I mean, just yeah. I can't fathom. I, I, I just I I want to work at Marvel just to hear the conversations that they go. Like, you see what happened over at DC last night? Oh, what a mess! You know, I, I yeah. I, I I hope they're I I know they're more humble about it than that, but I hope not because they deserve <laughs> to be laughed at. If you're yeah. doing like we didn't even talk about the Spider-Man trailer yet on the show the newest one um it, there seems to be another step in the right direction based on what we've seen spider-man oh yeah in civil yeah. war just kind of what they're going for with him and the character and the actor and and seems tonally what we want in spider-man and then mm-hmm. you bring on board okay robert downey jr is going to be in probably a third of the movie okay on board mm-hmm. love him uh michael keaton's gonna be the villain like in a birdman style yeah i'll <laughs> take that and you bring a cool soundtrack to the table as well i'll take it and it has the light tone of spider-man comic book style that doesn't look we think yet to be too comic booky or spider-man one sam raimi you know um Mm -hmm. so Mm kind of has the perfect formula going for it as far as people involved and everything pointing in the right direction but we said before batman superman that it wasn't going in the right direction before they decided to make that. And then they like, yeah, we'll go ahead with Henry Cavill and Jack Snyder too. Uh, And -hmm. then we'll, yeah, Affleck will be here. We're like, okay, a little bit of hope, a little bit of, you know, this could (laughs) not, you know, Batman could could save the day, so to speak. Um, But didn't happen, man. What a disappointment. I cannot wait to talk about our worst movies of the year coming up in a few (laughs) weeks, because I am just starting to reminisce in my mind about, this year Ugh. and just what a cesspool of bad movies it was it highlighted with some, by some great movies i will say and some surprises blockbuster wise in, in my opinion mm-hmm. over the summer that i didn't mostly expect. storks i feel like was probably <laughs> the highlight of the year so this movie mm-hmm. th- this year was a combination of bad action and comedy movies mm-hmm. pretty decent blockbusters and mm-hmm. uh good oscar type movies and, yeah. and that's that's pretty much it. It was a it was a real low kind of low year for comedy, other than a few maybe Sausage Party and the Nice Guys were kind of some highlights. But I mean, what what you forgot you the best movie of all though? What's that? The Magic Heist. Now you see me too. Oh, now you see me too. Was <laughs> hey, ma'am, fam, question for you: Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter 
for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Since 2016, how is that? I can't, that feels I like nine years ago, honestly. I'm telling you, that year, this, this that, that year <laughs> took seven years off our lives, I feel like. It was just it so long. By the way, first episode of 2017, guys. What up? We made it. <laughs> it's the fourth full year of the show uh, now. So we've seen at least a movie a week for four straight years and haven't missed a beat. So we thank you, everyone out there, Lauren, you included, for making it happen. And we will continue for another four and beyond. I'm going to take a year off, though, just That's to fine. get a sabbatical. So uh, Richard yeah. can carry on. He proved that with Richard <laughs> through the looking glass. Let's do that That's every right. week. By the way, favorite podcast episode of 2016 <laughs> is going to be a category in our next uh, episode, or not our next episode, but when we do uh, wrap up the year before the Oscars and all that, we will um, we'll give a lot of fun superlatives and things like that. So look forward to it. I'm I, that's probably my funnest, and we'll probably get together for it too and record it live and yeah. be, and have a a better sound quality element and all that. So. It won't be two hours of torture like it normally is on a weekly basis. <laughs> so, having said that, I think we should move on and talk the movie of the week. So, let's take a break, grab some coffee, uh, grab our tap shoes and all that, and talk La La Land. Boom. This movie comes in highly touted uh, in, as far as the buzz go, is concerned. Uh, mm-hmm. This is probably the most buzzed about, at least awardsy, kind of movie. Uh, that we've probably reviewed on the on the on the program, and by program, I say that like I'm a 1950s basketball coach. <laughs> Sounded a little Jerry Jones there. Yeah. The program. <laughs> we got a real good program down in Arkansas. Uh, <laughs> we <laughs> Roma was a miracle. Yeah. We always like talking these kinds of movies, though. Uh, mm. I think this is kind of my favorite subject matter to talk. Because uh, we don't often get to to do, kind of separate ourselves from the industry, uh, as far as the cesspool of just awfulness that, like I said, most of the movies have been this year. So uh, d- the question is always with these hype kinds of movies: Does it live up to the hype? Uh, is is this? We've seen plenty of musicals come and go over the years, guys. Moulin Rouge and Chicago and The Artist and all these awardsy kinds of movies that uh, 
are up for the Oscars. Some of them win, some of them don't. They're risky uh, oftentimes. A lot of it depends on performances, director, music, all, all that kind of, kind of combining into one. Oftentimes part of it works, part of it doesn't, and that's fine uh, most of the time. This is kind of a, an odd case, in my opinion, as far as uh, these things go. Uh, this movie, uh, Mr. Chazelle, if you're listening, it, it's kind of like Masterpiece with like an M, like 50 feet high. Uh, this, this movie was incredible. Uh, absolutely incredible. I loved it, loved it. 50 times higher, loved it. Um, there wasn't basically a moment that I wasn't completely in awe or captivated by it. The look of it, the feel of it, the emotion, the story, the acting. It was a perfect combination from head to toe. Absolutely freaking loved this movie. One of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Definitely in the theater. As far as theater experience, the cinema scope, the whole shebang. Loved it. and. I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, this is a, this is a great, <laughs> great, great, great movie that you, you don't get a lot of these in your lifetime. You really, you really don't. Um, Kent is seriously like I, dancing I around the room right now. He's so excited. It's this so I, 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 guys, this movie is so good. I, I, I can't even fathom to you how good it is. Like in fifty times over, it's so good. So. So fabulous! I mean, <laughs> holy crap! I like I, I like Chazelle. We we talked Whiplash. We did an episode mm-hmm. on it. I, mm-hmm. I I said this guy is the real deal. I I, I remember saying this guy, watch out! Uh, I mean, holy crap! Which Whiplash was? I think his first full length movie. He had done yeah. a couple shorts before that, jazz related mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, he's a genius. He's a Chazelle is an absolute genius. Um, he's a Harvard guy. He's a drummer. He he knows film. He knows movies. He's you know he's got respect for Hollywood. He's got respect for uh, himself. Uh, he's got respect for just technique, uh, which a lot of directors don't utilize and don't have any taste whatsoever. Uh, this guy is the real deal. I mean, this guy's thirty one, and he freaking made this movie. You know, yeah. uh, it's like feel makes me feel like myself. I hate myself, and I'm, I'm yeah. I, I I do I do. Yeah. Um, as one time I had a day where like a thousand people read my blog, so that was awesome. Yeah, that's how I, yeah, I know, right? I I mean, this guy is he's total next level. Um, he's leapfrogged every director in Hollywood with this. I mean, I watched the the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, Director's Roundtable, and you're sitting there with Denzel and Oliver Stone and all these great and Mel Gibson and these great directors who have won Oscars and done all this stuff. And they're just like captivated listening to him talk, you know, about mm-hmm. movies and movie making and, and La La Land and how it came to be and just the process. And I mean, it was, um, it was, I was expecting a lot. I think I had hyped this movie up. I listened, I had the I soundtrack. You, I, I knew all the songs I before I went in. I was nervous for myself because yeah. I <laughs> wanted this to be good, but it, I mean, it lived up to every expectation. And surpassed every expectation I had. I mean, I can't, I, I can't talk about a flaw right now. Um, I'm going to try to think of some because I do have a few complaints, but I wouldn't call them flaws. As more as like what could have happened if it went this direction or another direction, you know, story wise. Um, that you kind of wonder about. I mean, it's all on purpose. But I mean, the the title of the movie is genius. 
because of the way it's kind of you're kind of floating around in this world. It's kind of like you're you are in a in a law land in a daze, and it's in L.A. and it, it, I mean it's the perfect combination of ninety different factors. But I'm excited to talk about it with you, Brian. I know you liked it. I don't think you loved mm-hmm. it, but uh, no, I did. But, I did. Uh, I don't like musicals. This not a uh, it's not a, a, a genre of film that really typically appeals to me. I can probably count on one hand uh, the number of, of true musicals that uh, that I like, that I enjoy, that I'm willing to uh, to rewatch. Um, and one of those is like Little Shop of Horrors, you know. So it's like I, I, this is not really my type of of, of film uh, in, in the slightest. And thinking, I'm trying to think of what musicals we've seen over the last uh, five to ten years, and I'm not sure that I liked like even remotely cared for for any of them uh i hate chicago i hated mamma mia uh what else came there's there's at least one other one the artist is a, just a joke to me uh which to us we made a lot of jokes about the artist over the years I'm trying I, to think I don't know if the other. artist is a joke uh as much as it is it was not the best movie of that year yeah it's just kind of by a cool punchline. yeah yeah so i mean in look, any other not, year it may be the artist has a chance but I just didn't yeah. see it that year. Yeah. I don't know. You know, like Richard always says, it, you can't take this away from it. It was the best silent movie of 2011. Uh, of the 2011. <laughs> so, good. Now, look. You cannot so take is, that away from it. You cannot. You can't take it away from it. No matter it was how hard easily the best silent movie of 2011. <laughs> you cannot. You cannot even uh, come close to arguing that point. I no, mean, it's true. We'll, we'll it's true. talk I've, all I've day. Tried. If you I've tried to it. find some <laughs> tiny indie movie that, that I could say is better now. Um, but look, so not my type of movie to begin with. Uh, and and so in spite of that, perhaps completely sold me within about two minutes. Uh, it's a I don't know if it's a perfect film, but boy, it's good. And uh, I the performances are spectacular to me. You know, it's funny. I, I think the I think actually the singing is probably the worst aspect of it. And that kind of makes it better to me in some ways like that, that. I don't know how to explain that other yeah. than no, it does I, make it better. For whatever 100%. reason, there's something I have like a mental block with uh, with musicals where it just doesn't make sense to me that. And I know this is stupid. It's not like I like I love the Fast and Furious movies, so I clearly don't need reality in my movies. So I, you know, I don't, I don't know. But but for whatever reason, I always have this mental block where it's like how do all these people know this original song that they literally can just like come out of the shadows and start dancing? Like, I don't, I don't get that. And, it, and, and I try to fight it and I don't know why it bothers me, but it's, it just always sticks with me of like, these are like professionally trained right. dancers. How are they just wandering the streets? I don't understand. And, and it, and it bugs me. And so this, because Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone are both, I would say adequate to 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 above adequate uh, singers and and dancers. It it kind of brings like some authenticity to the movie and it makes it feel a lot more real than I think it would have if you put um, I don't know like classically trained Broadway dancers and performers. Like it, it just I don't know. It just made it feel a little bit more. Real and it, to me, yeah. I, I thought of a movie that that uh, that Gosling and Stone did together a few years ago that Gangster I love, Squad. Crazy Stupid yep. Love, yep. <laughs> Gangster Squad. It's a fantastic <laughs> film. Love it. Uh, I own seven copies. Uh, it's actually the prequel to Live out. by Night. Didn't it's a prequel <laughs> to Live by Night? And yeah. 
Yeah. We'll, we'll see the sequel, so I'm excited for it here in yeah, a couple months. Just as funny. Same release just date, actually. Weird. Same mm-hmm. release date. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I thought about Crazy Stupid Love, and one of the things that makes that movie uh, get better with age to me and, and makes it so good is that it is very, it's a flawed film, and the characters themselves are flawed. And so these two things like kind of blend together to make that movie seem extremely realistic but in a very uh enjoyable likable kind of way and that's kind of how i felt about this now obviously there's not you know singing and dancing in crazy stupid love but it's just that similar feel of like i really feel like gosling first of all gosling and stone are great they're fantastic performers two of my favorite uh performers overall i mean I, i'm a nice guys we talked about earlier this year i said i think ryan gosling is my favorite actor and that holds true uh maybe more so now Having seen this, but there's just something about what they bring to the table that sells this not only as a musical, but also as a film and also as like kind of an experience. And Damien Chazelle is a freaking genius and he's bringing it together beautifully. Um, I and I won't take literally one thing away from him because he's incredible. And this is a this is like a tour de force. This is like a this is like a pro- whiplash is a great film. And that last 15 minutes of whiplash is. That legitimately might be the best scene uh, of the decade. This is like him announcing to the world, hey, that thing I did with Whiplash was really good. I am great. Like, I am the best director in Hollywood. And you you're thought that was good. Wait till you yes. see this. It's, he's amazing. But I do think it, it, that they work in concert together, the, his stars, and, and he, like, and that's what makes it so good. And, you know, you add in uh, the feel and the tone and the. I think the the songs themselves are are pretty low key in a great way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they're they're not overbearing and over the top and crazy musical performance that I think part is part of what drives me crazy with with typical musicals. And I so anyway, all that to say, I'm, I know I'm rambling. I I love this movie. It's it's stuck with me. I saw it a week or week. Uh, I don't know, probably a week ago, and it has. I loved it coming out, and I have not stopped thinking about it ever since. So this is yeah. going to be very, very high on the list. Cool. Lauren? Um, yeah, I also loved it probably a bit less than you two did, actually. As a theater um, nerd? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I went in a little bit wary about it just because everyone was raving about it for Oscars and all that stuff, and I knew it was going to be about sort of an aspiring actress and all that and so i kind of just took a step back like oh of course everyone's gonna like it because that means because it's gonna be something that they can kind of relate to but then having seen it as brian you said after like a minute or two i just absolutely was loving it i had such a great Mm -hmm. time the whole time during the movie i left it feeling so happy and well happy and wanted to go see it again um and i'm not generally the biggest musical movie fan either uh but i loved the great callbacks that there were to singing in the rain and other uh movie musicals that kind of just threw out it felt like there was nostalgia to lots of things like that mm-hmm. um and then it also gave me a big appreciation sort of for jazz music that i don't normally yeah. have i yeah. just that's not a genre that i really listen to very much but then the way that they have gosling's character sebastian talking about jazz music and all that it just kind of swept me up into it as well Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was just, I just absolutely loved it the whole time. And, yeah, I thought it was, like, technically really good. Um, the acting was great. And I, like, also immediately thought of uh, Crazy Stupid Love 
and sort of just like how they had great chemistry in that and how they have great chemistry in this as well. But it's, they're much different characters in this. They're much different. They have a very different relationship sort of than they did in Mm -hmm. crazy stupid love. And so I love being able to see the kind of difference and how they both, uh, how both Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling kind of changed Mm. how they were acting. Basically it was kind of an easy way to compare and see like the progression that they've had. So I like that a lot. Yeah. You would think it would be kind of a one trick pony with two people that have great chemistry, like a, Oh, we're just going to get Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Yeah, it'll be great. You know, and you know, you're going to get what you get Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. You're kind of doing the Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan are in love and have great chemistry thing. Um, they don't really do that for five movies. That's great. Uh, it is cool to see them do different relationships and couple, you know, different uh scenarios and settings and all that um as opposed to just let's do true rom-coms together you know that is mm-hmm. that is awesome um as far as chazelle goes again this is his second i guess big um budget movie or wide release film and he it is basically doing the hardest kind of movie to do like taking the biggest risk you could ever do like okay i'm gonna you know the, the movies from the you know 30s and 40s and 50s that everybody decided that they don't they didn't like anymore so we stopped making them because <laughs> nobody wanted to see them. I'm going to do that. <laughs> you know that's what that's kind of what he said here and and he he is going to do it in a way that totally is a commentary on 30 different things, you know, mm-hmm. the the relationship between the characters, the industry of Hollywood, the fact that he wants to be a musician. The fact that uh, he has to play what he doesn't want to play. Uh, the fact that he joins a band and the band is trying to change the sound to a sound that he doesn't want to play. Um, the fact that she wants to be an actress. The fact that she works on the studio a lot. The fact that she has to go to all these auditions. I mean, there's so many different kind of things within the L.A. lifestyle that it kind of comments on and touches on. And the first of those being traffic. And like you said at the beginning, I mean, Chazelle, I heard him in that reporter interview saying, I think it was that, some of their interviews saying that he knew that he had to start off the movie and it had to be as crazy and crazy as you could get with the musical number to where you got to be all in in two minutes or you're not going to like any of this, you know? And like you said, Lauren, it, it within a minute if you like what you see i think you're going to enjoy the rest of this um because he mm-hmm. really kind of throws it all out there and love it or hate it I, the criticism that i have seen for this movie is that scene and my only criticism of it will be that it wasn't shot in camera as far as the vocals are concerned uh, you can tell mm-hmm. that it's a studio mm-hmm. and that they're not all singing you know they're not picking up the audio obviously that would be logistically impossible to mic everybody up individually and do that whole, I mean, mm-hmm. it would be a nightmare to do. So why not record it in the studio and then do the musical number old fashioned style, which is fine, but that'd be my only complaint. And I correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I think I counted three or four scenes that were shot. were seeing in camera. The first of those being city of stars. The second one being the city of stars duet. The third of those being Emma Stone's audition. And I think there's one, maybe John Legend for a minute is singing uh, in camera, but I think uh, the majority of them were studio recordings and 
cast recordings and things like that, which is fine. It guys mm-hmm. kind of mix it up. I thought that he chose as a director the when to use that effectively because mm-hmm. um, the music, first of all, Justin Hurwitz, who wrote the Whiplash music as well. Oh my God, this guy looks younger than Chazelle. I think he is. I mean, holy, <laughs> where do they find these guys? I mean, Nine. this guy composed all this music. Uh, it's so technical. It's incredibly technical music. The Whiplash is some of the most, I mean, not to say most nuanced music because jazz is extremely nuanced. It's definitely some of the most technical jazz music. There's a lot of ways to interpret jazz. If you're going to say you're going to make a movie about jazz, you can go 900 different directions with that. Different styles of jazz, different influences, different... Jazz is the art of improvisation more than it is anything else, right? Mm -hmm. So you can... Anything is jazz. Any kind of music is jazz if you kind of play it that way. So, I mean, to do as technical as he did with Whiplash and then to kind of do something even more technical, which is write a musical, score it, and then write a jazz musical in kind of in between, you know, write a bunch of original jazz music and write rock music too. That's impressive. And wow. Uh, So... Composer of the year for sure, Hurwitz. I can't even think of another score that's moved me as much as this score did uh, in the past, well, in a while, since, you know, a couple Star Wars movies or something like that. I mean, you don't think about scores a lot, but when they're good, you you know it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Mia's and Sebastian's theme, the simple piano line, is obviously very effective in the fact that Mia is having rough day and walks by the cafe and hears it and is obviously wants to see what's inside and that's kind of her first glimpse at Sebastian playing the piano and doing his gig I thought that was such a good choice by Chazelle too to kind of follow Mia for a time she walks into the cafe then we follow Sebastian for and we flash back to his day after the wreck right we flash back to everything his you know, his exposition, right? His, his mm-hmm. life, what, what's he up mm-hmm. to? Okay. And we, we lead basically from the wreck all the way to the cafe where he's actually playing the song. And so as he's playing that song and it's the kind of the first full time we hear him play, you know, he kind of goes off the, by the way, hilarious scene with JK Simmons and playing, yeah. playing the yeah. Christmas music and the humor in this movie was was rem- you know reminiscent of the humor that you would see in those old kinds of movies, but it was still so funny. I mean, Ryan it also Gosling felt really subtle. Yeah, exactly. It was so subtle, yeah. and Ryan Gosling, his comic timing. I mean, with He's the nice perfect. guys in this, I mean, ho- this is maybe the best comedian in Hollywood. I'm not even kidding. You know, <laughs> uh, it's holy crap that what this guy's doing with comedy. I never would have expected that. But all that to say, so he's playing the full song for the first time it's our first you know we've heard the tune kind of here and there throughout the theme you know the reprise or whatever and we we see him shred it on piano and he's playing that that is in camera uh most of the piano i think was because uh obviously obviously uh that's a lot easier most of the time than vocals on set because things can crack and all that so anyway all that to say Ryan Gosling practiced piano for four hours a day for three months, he said, for this movie to do it. Wow. And it shows. I mean, he, uh, right, John Legend didn't play guitar. Didn't even learn guitar. Yeah, doesn't play guitar. Kind of had to (laughs) pretend to learn guitar for this movie. 
And he said that, uh, you know, that Ryan Gosling learned is already as good as at him at piano in four months or whatever it was. So that's a commitment to do, to do that. But I thought the theme was used beautifully throughout the movie. And mm-hmm. again, that, so we see him play the theme and then the, the shift, the camera sh- shifts focus and you see Emma Stone standing back there and we already know her story and why she's there. I, I thought that was such a good choice. Yeah. To, and we yeah, already know her reaction. We already know she's transfixed with them. And then he gets up, and we don't know what's going to happen when they meet, you know, like, are they going to talk or what? And then he blows her off. Right. And that's kind of sets off the movie. You, you, you don't know if they're going to get together. You know, you kind of assume mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. Hollywood, typical Hollywood musical is a typical love story where they're singing happy time love songs. And that's great. And everything's happy and dandy. You know, that's pretty much been the norm. But this really did a really good job of kind of flipping it on its head. As far as what mm-hmm. a musical, what you would expect plot-wise from a musical. And we'll get into spoilers, but the ending is one of those, you know. Um, and I love that about this. I love that it kind of had me guessing the entire time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, See, the thing is, though, like, all the trailers that I saw playing on TV or wherever, they all were the trailers that are just Ryan and Emma making out. Right. All you kind of have to movie. sell it All that way. Happening. Yeah. I know you do. I know you do. But like, that's part of the reason I wasn't initially super excited to go see it. Cause I was like, all right, they're just going to be kissing a lot. Great. It's going to be a regular musical. <laughs> but then just because of that, yeah, you have like a good portion of the early part of the movie where you're like, are they getting together? What's happening? And I thought yeah. that was a really great kind of like step back. So it's not like, yeah, no, they're already there. Let's go mm-hmm. from here. Like, let's yeah, figure out how they got there. Yeah, I think, Brian, you kind of said earlier that it's kind of hard to believe when people are just breaking out in song all the time, right? That's that's yeah, kind of the, yeah. the weirdest thing about musicals. Like, why are they see, why have they rehearsed this whole thing, you know? Yeah, It totally it, makes sense to me that two Dodge Chargers could drag a huge vault through the streets of Rio, <laughs> but right. not that random humans would be able to sing. Haven't I don't you know. seen it flash mobs? Flash mobs, yeah. Brian. I know. People I know. love singing. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, the thing about it is, though, I think Chazelle realized that, right? That he realized that about that's what's weird is that why are, why are they breaking into song? He he added a real surreal element to the musical numbers that it kind of takes you out of reality and maybe yeah. it all is in your imagination, it, the well, imagination of the characters on what they are imagining that their perfect situation would be in that moment when they're with mm-hmm. that. Part. You know what I mean? And you know what he did that? I think maybe the one of the master strokes of the whole movie is that he did exactly what you said, but he also paired it with this um, this sort of sense of timelessness, or at least of classical ness. I don't know. That's not really a word, but yeah, you guys know what I mean. Uh, timelessness is the right word, especially when they're going. You know, when they're going into the songs and the dances and stuff. You know, the camera, there's, you don't see, there's nothing in sight or in, in, uh, in mind, in vision, I mean, uh, in, in, within hearing that would lead you to believe that anything is happening on screen that, that couldn't have happened in 1950 or 1960, sure, you know? Sure. And mm-hmm. so he paired those two things. I old think school technique. Quickly. Yeah. Old school technique yes, in making it. Yeah. With the cinema scope too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very old, old school and timeless and it looks great. 
And it does lend itself to that feeling of like that this could be happening in their minds or it's just or it's a fantasy version of what happened or whatever. And then he, you know, time and time again over the first, especially over the first hour, such a brilliant job, I think, of blending those two things together and then breaking it with uh, a phone, a cell phone ringing or, uh, you know, a car coming to view that's that's out of place or something like these very small things that kind of. Um, he, it's not setting you up, but it's putting you on this, the, 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 uh, film burning when they're in the theater, things like that, that I think yeah. to me, those, those two concepts work just, just beautifully together. And then he always did such a great job of breaking you out of it in a, I think a funny way, but also kind of a way of like, in some ways was maybe a little bit of foreshadowing of things to come. And, and in some ways was just a, a like a. I think those things, those moments serve as a, like a wake up call to the audience just as much as to the characters. And that's, gosh, that's right. That's you, incredible. You totally, you, 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 you get swept away in the moment. You do. Yeah. And, and then he like, pops you out. Of it. And then like he's like, oh, by the way, DC. guys, you're in a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. This isn't, yeah. It, that's so true. Uh, there's, there's so many of those. Uh, so we, we kind of get off on a, on, on a rocky start, but what would you interpret the kind of the thing about it is Brian and the, the technique is that, yeah, he uses old school technique, but he blends that with new school. Like, Oh this, yeah. The, yeah. His, his use of the steady cam in this and the kind of, like I said, the surreal, the camera just floating around the room, uh, the, the, uh, I, I guess it's popular to use steady cam now, but I mean, I guess you would associate that with more recent movies like, like a Birdman or something, uh, he, mm-hmm. he really did kind of not restrict himself by any means to, well, if this tripod wasn't built in 1956, it's not going to be used <laughs> right. on this picture. <laughs> uh, so yeah. it's, uh, it, he, he really embraced the past, but also pushing the medium forward in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the, the absolute, the, the, the set design was incredible, incredibly thoughtful. I thought the, the color, you know, color choice, and specifically, kind of Emma Stone when she's in her bathroom, and like it's like the pink tile with the green mirror, and the color choice when Ryan Gosling makes her the meal, and the you know he makes her the meal, and she comes in surprised, and they have that like moment together, and then they realize that they're like don't want to be with each other anymore in that same kind of two minute period thing uh but i I thought the the setup was great with the green hue the curtains and everything and the candles and i mean his choice and scene in scenes was i mean i guess in setting was great but i think he blended those big kind of musical set pieces perfectly into this when they go to the planetarium and they're doing the floating around and when they're on the uh on the over uh, pass, not the overpass, but they're on, I guess it, it would be, it would be an overlook. No, mm-hmm. overlook. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Overlook. Yeah. Overlook. Okay. That's the word. Sure. Uh, and they're doing the big mm-hmm. dance number that kind of works w- weirdly well, but it's kind yeah. of, because this movie is kind of scaled down and kind of an indie feel and it feels like it's shot in LA current day, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. but then you break out into these big epic, like music numbers and set pieces. It's just kind of mm-hmm. awesome how he blended those two elements. And yeah. uh, 
never expected it. By the way, place cool respect to L.A. Like I said, with some cool settings around around LA, some some hot spots and all that around L.A. You gotta you have to kind of tell the history of L.A. as you're telling the history of um of the characters. But mm-hmm. I thought it was a cool homage to Dan, uh, Singing in the Rain. The fact yeah. that they set it on a movie set, like she works on a movie set, and they're yeah. talking about the back lots and all that. That's a big player in Singing in the Rain. The fact that it's kind of a a, a Hollywood movie about Hollywood and and uh, about how movies are made and things like that. So I, I appreciated that. But a movie that I haven't heard mentioned a lot to compare to this is... And and I thought of it immediately. It's in, within a minute. It was Grease? Why is nobody comparing this movie to Grease in any way? Because uh, Grease sucks. That's why. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, talk about. I mean, iconic no, I Hollywood musicals. Saying, yeah. uh, the first piece, of course, it reminds me of Grease. The big, the big ensemble at the beginning with the traffic and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds you of the summer nights aspect of Grease. Uh, the the scene with Emma Stone and her roommates is kind of like the Pink Ladies, and they're all getting out to go for the night. That musical number. Uh, John Travolta, uh, obviously, Russell, Ryan, 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 Ryan Gosling, we just close each other right now. I mean, Brian would probably rather hang out with Travolta than he would Ryan Gosling if you were to ask him. <laughs> That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> uh, but I, I got that vibe immediately of a, yeah. of a Grease uh, kind of vibe or reinventing that. Mm-hmm. But uh, Emma Stone, holy crap, she's, she's so going to win dude. Best Actress, like, <laughs> yeah. hands down. Um, I, I can say, I mean, write it on the, you know, engrave it onto the Oscar now. I mean, I, I I've seen just about every performance yeah. this well, year, I feel like. And Meryl it, Streep did have a movie this year. I though, saw so. Florence Foster <laughs> Jenkins yeah. on a flight. Yeah. By the way, NFL team charter flight. Guess what movie they show? <laughs> Florence Foster Jenkins. Cause Man, Zeke Elliott just loves they, Hugh Grant. They, they love <laughs> Streep. They just love Streep and they love period pieces. So it's a weird combination. Actually, the perfect formula for a win. Yeah, so. it's just like tearing up in the yeah. back watching yeah. it unfold. Um, I mean, Amy Adams was good in Arrival, but she was she wasn't yeah. Emma Stone. I mean, <laughs> I can't yeah. imagine this movie with anyone else. Really, I mean, it would have probably worked because Giselle's a genius, but I can't imagine anyone else than it was her. supposed to be Miles Teller and Emma Watson. So I'm I I think Emma Watson could have worked. I don't know about with Gosling. Maybe Emma Watson yeah. was somebody else all. that we like that could have maybe worked. I don't know. Maybe Daniel Radcliffe, and it's just like they have that natural chemistry, guys. Got that? You know, I, I think what we know about Emma Stone that we don't know about Emma Watson, and maybe this will be proven. I mean, she's she's going to have. A, I think Emma Watson's in for a big year, so maybe we find this out. But Emma Stone creates chemistry with her with yeah. her castmates extremely mm-hmm. well. Uh, whether it's you know Ryan Gosling in this or. Uh, excuse me like jonah hill and super bad i mean all the way back to that she is very good even with michael keaton she's very good at creating a, a certain chemistry with with coast with her co-star and i don't you know i don't know if emma if emma excuse me emma watson has that or not um because we just really haven't still tbd the kid you know we, we don't know um mm-hmm. i know i don't ever need to see miles teller in a movie so there's that <laughs> uh, regardless um i think gosh i it is hard to think of you're probably right, Chazelle. I think is at a place where he can make uh, pretty much anything work. He, I mean, you know, we. <laughs> I pretty much hate Miles Teller as much as anybody, and he's very, very good in Whiplash, and he makes that movie work really well. So I think Chazelle is at a place where he can make that happen. But you're, 
I don't want to repl- I don't I don't want anything different. You know, I don't want I don't want Gosling and Stone replaced by by anybody. This is kind of a perfect pairing, I think. Yeah, I, it would be hard to imagine it, but I mean Emma Stone, oh my gosh. Uh the humor that she showed during the, all of the auditions and she's auditioning for the different parts and there's different colors, bo- colored walls behind her. It's a very simple setup in camera yeah. to do when she's got kind of, it's kind of that montage sequence of the auditions. I thought that was hilarious. Another funny moment uh, when she kind of her first big audition where she, I mean, breaks down, you know, and uh, yeah. is crying and mm-hmm. is it, I mean, it could have been a real audition for, you know, of what the kind of string she pulls for real auditions as an actress, you know, she had to go to those kind of depths for that, probably to, to pull that. But the way Chazelle shot that was incredible. <laughs> the fact that he just kept the camera on her and you see the person out of focus in the background coming in the room and saying something. And the camera never cuts back to the, the judges or whatever, you know, it just stays on, on, uh, Emma Stone the whole time and, uh, gets her reaction of the entire situation going down and them telling her we're good here, you know, that yeah. all that was for nothing. Sorry. And then her having to just walk out of the room was such a moment. And I mean, she kind of had it wrapped up right there in my opinion, like, okay, you, we'll, we'll give you it. We'll give you the award right now. That's fine. But, <laughs> then the, that's like a that's like a in the first thirty minutes of the movie. So I'm like, what is that? What are we going to see later that could top that? And and it only got better. It only got better yeah. for her. Uh, as far as her dancing, I was very impressed with. Uh, I think she's done Broadway. She did cabaret, I think, uh, mm-hmm. in the past. So I don't know if she's classically trained or by any means, but I think she has done some kind of work. In uh, as far as musical musicals are concerned, by the way, Ryan Gosling recruited to be in the Backstreet Boys originally. Yeah, turned it down. Mickey Mouse, Could've Mickey been. Mouse Club, man. Yeah, that was a that was quite a class. Yeah, Mickey Mouse. Yeah, they had yeah, it was Gos and and uh, yeah, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and Timberlake and J C Chavez and that was that was quite the class. Yeah, he could have been an in sync too, probably if he wanted to be. Quite a different path. I'd rather be in La La Land than be in Backstreet Boys <laughs> or in Sync. I think he's done better for himself. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't know. In Sync. I mean, Maybe not, not money. A lot wise. of money. I, <laughs> I think Timberlake's. I think Timberlake's doing okay. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was great. Uh, as far as Ryan Gosling in that is concerned, I thought this this stuff with John Legend was like a movie in its own. You know, like that was a whole separate movie that they could have fleshed out into its own picture, really. You know, the, yeah. the Ryan Gosling, Seb's kind of journey in the music business, I thought was really interesting. And I think the, the, the scene where they're in the studio at first, and they're kind of figuring out their sound, and then he just hits the beat, you know? And Sebastian's like, what is going on? And he says, <laughs> you know, we got to gotta move forward, man. We got to change things. And, you know, it gives one of those, we got to change music. People don't like that old jazz anymore, man. Uh, that was funny. And kind of a sad realization about the music business, too, because that's mm-hmm. how a lot of things are headed. Definitely. And the 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 concert number in this, too, with Start a Fire, the song, is wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's-, it's so well shot, and the music is great, and that's a, such a great moment between 
uh, Sebastian and Mia that they really do. That's when you really know that they're going to make, not going to make it, but are in love with each other. That's a, that's a big moment too. Another funny scene at the beginning that we haven't touched on is the scene where she goes to the party and he's playing in the eighties band and they had, had plays yeah. so Flock of seagulls and she's lip syncing to it. That was so funny too. And random and wow. Never expected that one, but worked great. And, uh, Ryan Gosling I- setting the keytar back a few years buddy you might want to <laughs> reconsider that one but it, i thought he played it funny like how he was just reluctant to oh, be yeah. up there and yeah. playing a few notes that he could and like showing no emotion i thought his comic timing was great and i don't know if it's been said but we criticize the artist brian but this movie a lot of times the music just plays and they're just it's body language, you know? I mean, this, it mm-hmm. plays like mm-hmm. a silent movie for a lot of it. And I think it works so effectively, yeah. especially but like a good one, like a, a good, a really movie. good silent movie, <laughs> yeah. especially when they go see rebel without a cause and they're in the theater yeah. and they're, mm-hmm. and it's just them two looking at each other, looking at the movie, all that happens. And what a special moment that was as well. But previously to that, we get a scene with Emma stone and by the way, she has a boyfriend, we find out. Uh, she's in a relationship, and not a good one or not one she's happy in. And then she has that kind of, I, I don't know, uh, epiphany as she's sitting there listening to her boyfriend drone on with his friend or whatever about something at the dinner. She just walks out on him. And that's kind of her big uh, realization that uh, she's not happy with, I guess, how her life was going at that point. So. That was big, and but on the flip side of that, you have Gosling alone at the theater, you know, heartbroken, and that's a that's a oh that's tough, you know, because um, he loved her, he loved Mia, she was the only one. But then you have that moment with them in the theater, and then they do fall in love for sure. But um, I mean, it's just this is just crammed with stuff. I can't even. I, I feel like I remember every scene in this movie. Don't you feel like that, that way? You, you yeah. vividly yeah, remember every thing. setting and every what was said and what happened in, in every single scene. Uh, later, we flash forward, I guess, in time. They decide they're going to go their separate ways, right? Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We flash forward in time, and I guess how many years? Three years later, isn't it? I think it's, I think it's five. Five. It's five, yeah. Another thing is Emma Stone's kind of journey in her one-act play, which is a what kind of brings them together when he's encouraging her on it all the time and everything. Mm-hmm. And the fact that was heartbreaking too, when the lights come on and there's like, it's her roommates and like three other people <laughs> sitting yeah. there. And, uh, we find out later that one person that was there actually mattered and gave her a big role in a movie. And that role ends up, I guess, making her a star, right? A big star, yeah. the star mm-hmm. that and I, thought, I love the juxtaposition of her in the coffee shop, serving the coffee and then being served the coffee in the same mm-hmm. manner. It's very was, poetic. God, yeah. that was so good. But yeah, very poetic. But it rhymed. It rhymes. He's things rhyme. George Lucas quote. Uh, it's like poetry. It rhymes. We also get after that um, kind of her ascent into what it's like for her to be a star, but also 
married to Tom Everett Scott, Guy Patterson. <laughs> I it was so weird, Brian. Because when Lynn they're Tyler, because because when they're in the jazz club, like the original kind of Sebs, like what mm-hmm. Sebs wants Sebs to be, right? What Seb wants Sebs yeah. to be. It's it's just kind of like that scene in that thing you do when they're at the when guys at the jazz club, right? And it's first mm-hmm. it's like he's first mm-hmm. discovering, and you're as an audience like, man, jazz is cool, right? <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And I had that. I mean, it's a blue. I think it's not the blue note, but that's the one in, the, in that thing you do is the blue note or uh, yeah. something like that. Uh, yeah, something I can't remember. Yeah, uh, it might be blue note. Yeah, and I mean it was a blue bar so i thought that connection yeah, there yeah. and so they reminded me of that setting and that movie and him his character guy patterson in that movie doing all that and then flash forward boom guy patterson shows up in the movie i'm like what is <laughs> happening like worlds are colliding all over the place here yeah. for me um and you don't see him in a lot of stuff so that's why it was very weird it's just like i'm mm-hmm. just thinking about this guy four seconds ago and here he is you know it was <laughs> i like weird. to think that damien chazelle was inspired by that oh 100 i think that's... so why else oh, would he was, yeah so. there's an there's an interview oh, was he? yeah there's an interview from tiff where he was talking about uh where they brought it up basically and he was saying that yeah he loved that movie growing uh, up it's like a big inspiration for him that's awesome he was a drummer so yeah. that makes sense right mm-hmm. you gotta yeah get, you got to get shades in your movies whenever you can. <laughs> yeah, and apparently Emma Stone would constantly say, I quit, I quit, I quit during <laughs> whatever he'd give her a direction she didn't like. So. That's awesome. Gosh. Okay. Oh, I want to be on the set. I want to be on the, I don't want to be yeah. there and they make the, made this. What, what a fun time. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, that's a cool Easter egg, I guess, that I, <laughs> I didn't expect. But so he shows up randomly and. Man, the way this movie ends, I guess you guys can comment on it. But yeah. um, Lauren, you jump in. This kind of adds into the surreal ability, though, of the whole thing, right? The Mm -hmm. fact that she flashes back to what their life could have been. I think that's the most effective sequence in the film. It's like I said, (laughs) that's the silent movie of the. the, I think it's a five minute sequence of all music and footage, right? Of their life. Yeah, and kind of how things had changed, sort of like Uh if it had ended up kind of in that picture perfect way and i really loved that i loved the kind of fantasy ideas from that and the taking it kind of to the hopeless romantic ideas that you get in a lot of musicals as just the actual musical story whereas that's kind of just their idea of what could have been so i loved that kind of the comparisons between that and what the like real life sort of was yeah yeah it it, it definitely when it first happened when she first flashes back to that first bar, when she sees him playing for the first time, yeah, Mm -hmm. you think when they kiss, when they do kiss, you think what? So did they really kiss? Like is, is the other thing we saw not the reality, you know, he did a really cool job of the, again, kind of flashing forward between different perspectives and reality. So you really Mm -hmm. didn't know what was real until I guess it's still kind of up for interpretation, right? Because you, yeah. you don't know if you're ending on Seb's uh, vision or or Mia's vision, right? And when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, because it's kind of told through two different perspectives the entire length of the movie. So yeah. that's a really that's a Christopher Nolan. Let's leave the top spinning at the end of the movie kind <laughs> of a thing. Like, oh, we'll just think about what you want to think, and we'll just leave it. We'll call it at that. So I appreciated that too for sure. Um, 
We haven't touched on one other thing, but this has been a fun, fun conversation. Uh, Emma Stone's audition scene mm-hmm. where she sings the song. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was completely, mo- I mean, moved by that. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't, if I said I didn't shed a tear during it. Mm-hmm. It was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, Brian, earlier in the fact that they're not really competent singers when you think of Idina Menzel or somebody would get for a musical, you know, Um, it's not that style, but I think it makes it so much more emotional when they're trying to sing their heart out, you know, and just really put their all into it rather than, Oh, I can just do this tomorrow. Like Christina Aguilera can just barely sing anything. And it it sounds like, you know, perfect, uh, perfect voice all the time. I think, that scene specifically her character really hadn't sang much most of the movie right other than mm-hmm. the city of stars and a couple other little moments i think like seb kind of gave her the confidence to do that you know like to to go to that depth in singing because is she is kind of what reminded of something and then starts singing the song but yeah it really feels like she's just realizing her potential at that moment you know and uh yeah she like she's she's, like she's at that moment realizing holy crap i didn't Mm -hmm. know i was this good you know and just Mm -hmm. going all like like nobody's watching you know and he really a really cool thing where he lowers the lights and you're it's a spotlight on her right like what a cool simple thing i love that that in the last sequence too and it's Mm -hmm. so yeah he used that a few times right at the beginning Mm -hmm. um when uh gosling when seb is at the I uh, like playing holiday music. And then when he suddenly goes off and does his own yes, music yes. a little bit, they drop it there as well. So it's kind of like whenever they're getting recognized or really doing what they love and what they want mm-hmm. to be kind of known for, that's when you kind of get those like drop yeah. lighting and spotlight moments, which I really love. Yeah. I love that. That was, that was a beautiful touch. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I mean, I, I cannot think of, I, I'm trying to think of something to complain about. I mean, I'm not even kidding. I, and you know me, I'll pick out some small, ridiculous things most of the time. Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm just jealous of Chazelle for making I mean, for making this movie. Yeah, you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's just like, I mean, this, holy crap, man. You know, just stop being so awesome. Like, you're making us all look bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm sure every director feels that way in Hollywood. And when the Oscars, they're just going to be like, and the war goes too long. And you know, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. You know, Ooh. it's going to, I don't know. I, I just think movies like this, especially musicals, don't come around often. And good yeah. musicals don't come around often. And good chemistry yeah. between actors don't come around often. And and uh, good cinematography doesn't come around often. And good direction doesn't come around often. And a good script doesn't come around often. I mean, I can't, I can't uh, really say much more than that, right? So yeah, I'll leave it at no, that. It's- it's incredible. I mean, it's a real. It's so well put together, and the. I mean, technically, it's it's a brilliant film. I don't know what there is to complain about. I liked the. He just has a nose or a knack for these, like very. I don't know if they're subtle touches, but they. He at least, at the very least, um, he handles kind of the. The emotionalism, and at the same time, the sort of. Uh, the background stuff that's emotionalism. happening. Emotionalism. I don't know if that's a word either. I, well, I'm going for it. I'm the just emotion. I think emotion's the word, Brian. He gets this stuff right, and he does it in a very... It's not necessarily subtle, but it is kind of... it. He doesn't bring attention to it. I think 
a great little touch is that I, you know, there's a lot of musical numbers early in the movie, and then there's that one incredible one at the end, but there are two incredible at the end. But during the middle of the movie, when they're kind of struggling with their relationship and going through the doldrums of of being apart and all this sort of thing, there's really not any music for like an hour or forty minutes anyway. They, yeah, and I, I love that because I felt like it was. <laughs> you know, I'm not somebody. I'm not like a like a tenth grade English teacher. I don't look for symbolism too deep. Uh, that kind of made me hate books when I was <laughs> when I was in high school. You know, I, just, I don't I don't care for that sort of thing. But I, I felt like that was a very intentional choice to kind of use that as a way to point out of like it's not just what they're it's not just what the characters are saying. It's not just what they're going through on screen. But like it's giving you this for me it gave me this impression of like things are really pretty dark right now there's not a lot to sing about because it's hard like life is hard and these people these two characters are going through that right now and that was a i thought that was a brilliant little touch that um doesn't necessarily like jump out at you and slap you across the face but it kind of sinks in over the course of time and uh that's boy that's something that you don't i don't see too often you know that's a very that's a very skilled approach to uh, to bringing that context out of the characters and out of the situation. I love that. I thought it was I thought it was brilliant and sort of depressing, but in a you know in a very real kind of perfect way. I think so too. It, it's a it's a great choice. It's a musical that doesn't rely on musical numbers. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. musical that relies on music, and I pre in all forms, right? In every yeah. different genres and different. Uh, uses of music uh they use music like they like vocal sometimes like i said in the silent scenes i mean the music is the emotion in that it's the dialogue right Mm -hmm. uh and uh, from a music perspective not necessarily a a soundtrack you're going to sing along single numbers which it has those numbers i think uh the first two are great uh definitely and i think the city of stars is uh, you know could be song of the. I mean, it's the, probably the most singable one. Uh, Someone in the crowd is great. The, that's the second one. Uh, but I think the Mia's and Sebastian's theme it, it is the kind of one constant throughout the movie. You, he does. Yeah. They do call back to it a lot. And um, that moment where in the cafe at the very beginning, when he stops playing the Christmas music and just starts playing the song that he you had heard, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. so such a good mo i don't know what to say about it other than how i don't know if it's the the song that's so good is what makes it good or if it's the fact that we had heard it before or what makes it so good you know i think it's the it kind of yeah, a combination the of the two yeah but it is a it's a perfect song for the emotion of the moment in so many times throughout the movie you know uh it mm-hmm. really is kind of a make or break that that melody that they chose and I think Hurwitz said it was the first thing he wrote for the movie, and it was the thing that they never turned their back on. Like, he wrote it, and that was it. Like, that was the theme for the movie. And they wrote the movie basically musically around that, right? Right. Um, so, I mean, the fact that that worked, I mean, oftentimes you hear the best songs are written. In fact, I know the best songs are written in 10 minutes, where it's so obvious what's supposed to, what the note's supposed to be, that it's like it comes from a total another ether right it it comes it doesn't come from you it comes from like the earth like meant for that to be that way you know it's a very weird it's a very weird thing um so all that to say you know as somebody who makes films who plays keyboard 
who loves jazz and loves that thing you do and loves all this. And it's, <laughs> I feel like this movie was, was calling out to me in like every mm-hmm. way, you know, it, it, um, it felt like boyhood. Like I hadn't felt like that since boyhood, I guess in a movie mm. that's just like, man, like that is my, if not my life, that's, that movie was for me, you know, to see yeah. on that day at that moment, you know, I, I, I really felt like that during this. So thank you. Thank you, Damien. <laughs> so anybody have any other, other closing thoughts on, um, on this? By the way, a lot of it was shot in camera. I will say that. Um, as far as the sunsets and things like that, I uh, can mm. tell that they actually shot mm. a lot of that. Um, I, like kind of uh, Inuritu style with the Revenant. We're just going to use all natural light for most of this <laughs> if we can, you know? And the, when the bear shows up, though, yeah. I was so when he, when the bear mauls him a stone, that really it's a little jarring. Guard, yeah. Yeah, a little jarring. <laughs> Not not totally jarring, but when the when the bear <laughs> no, I mauls, kind of, I kind of predicted it, you guys. Yeah. I don't know, didn't you? <laughs> when a lot the of grizzly bears, in yeah. LA, when the I bear think. actually mauls him a stone and then gets up and sings "Bear Necessities," it's a little weird. <laughs> and Bill Murray's actually doing the voice. It's kind of yeah. Well, it's twenty six. Yeah, that actually brought it up a grade for me. But uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, having said that, any closing thoughts on this um, before we hit grades? No. Cool. You guys mentioned that you talked a little about the the closing sequence. I I that was brilliant. I loved it. I thought it was a, a you know, you come out kind of bummed in a way, but yeah. I thought I thought it was a great way of just kind of showing I hadn't really thought about what you said Kent of the interpretation of whether it was his view or her view or whatever. I just thought it was cool to kind of show how because usually in this sort of movie, we get the big happy ending and we get a romantic, you know, they were only they were only happy with each other and they could only be yeah. completed by each other. I loved that he showed. Yes, it's kind of still like an open wound in a way, but neither one of these people can achieve what they ultimately wanted to achieve in life together. Like it wasn't it wasn't possible if if they stayed together in that version of of uh the you know the way it unfolds in this sort of uh flashback into a, a you know an alternative reality then Gosling's happy but he's not probably complete because he doesn't own his club he doesn't get what he wants and it, there's probably another cut of it somewhere you know there's a, another version where Emma Stone doesn't become the movie star that she wants to be and it's i i thought that was a very poignant and and like real look at uh at how relationships work sometimes and mm-hmm. and i man i thought it was perfect i thought that was such you know i was i'm the easiest movie cry in the world and i was just on the verge of sobbing and it was you know it was this kind of mix of bittersweet happy uh tears because i i just i don't feel like we see that done right done well in a in a movie um very often at all it's it's that's kind of uh, not what we typically, uh, not what we want, not what we see, and and not, and not what we uh, typically get from this this sort of movie, or any movie, or TV show, or anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think uh, I think you're right in the fact that uh, somebody I was with that saw it <laughs> said as we were walking out, she goes, "Well, I, I guess that's proof that I'll never find my soulmate." Right? Like you'll never <laughs> end up with the person you're supposed to be with. Right? It's just kind of like we're just kind of out here on our own, guys. Yeah. Uh, if it happens, so that that was just a, I mean, a justification it, for it. You could take it that way, but you could also take it that that if you believe that in soulmates, that Tom soulmates. that they're not soulmates. Yeah, that Tom Everett yeah. Scott is her soulmate, and that Jazz is his soulmate. I mean, that's just like 
I think there's there's so many different takes that you can take out of that or, or different opinions that you could take out of it, but I thought showing how them not getting together is actually the thing that made them both uh, pursue or, or achieve the things that they were trying to achieve and, and ultimately, I think, become complete, then that's... I don't know. We just mm-hmm. don't get that a lot. The last time I remember seeing that was like maybe 500 Days of Summer, um, which... That's definitely what I thought of as well. And, and I really... You know, that's another one that kind of has this kind of depressing, bittersweet ending, but it is very uh, authentic and very real ending. And I, and I, I you know... I like that. I like mm-hmm. when you can pull that that feat off. Yeah. Yeah, I like that it was that kind of convention breaking mm-hmm. ending because mm-hmm. it's the exact opposite of what you expect. But yes. I also love yeah. that both, like you got the story of them mm-hmm. together, but then you also got, as we kind of mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. the stories of them each looking for their own like careers and their own success and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that you got like a really developed story from both of them on that without it needing to immediately include the other person. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I love that. It's like they, there are, they are their own people as well. Yes. So I thought yeah. that was really great. When he, I think it's at the, in the dinner scene, uh, when he tells her he's going on tour or whatever. And, yeah, like and, and she's like, he's like, you want me to be a successful musician, but you don't want me to tour. Right. But that's what it is, you know? Like, you have to support me. But he wasn't going to be there, so it didn't work. Um, that was great, too. Good good thoughts. Great, great little closing closing thoughts. Um, about time to hit a grade here. I'm going to give it the old Kent Garrison patented A with 35 pluses after it. Highest grade <laughs> I've ever given a movie on the show. A with 35 oh, pluses funny. on it. Go, Brian. Uh yeah, it's an A plus for me. It's I need to rewatch. I'm gonna I'm planning on rewatching Hell or High Water in the next week or so. That's probably the only thing that I it, it, one two. It's it, for the year. L A or excuse me, uh, La La Land or uh, or or Hell or High Water. It's so it's a uh, that's incredibly strong praise for someone who doesn't really care for for musicals. Typically, that's I'm I'm really kind of blown away by this I whole thing and I, I may sneak out to the theater yeah. and see it again yeah i i i think this might be better the second time i i yeah it, people it, if you've seen it a second time me. chime yeah. in it might be better the second time yeah. um i wish i could go back to watching it for the first honestly you know what i mean <laughs> it was like when i sensed that it was gonna end and mm-hmm. i rarely ever do this i didn't want it to end i honestly yeah. wanted yeah. this movie to be four hours long i'm not even kidding um I got depressed when I knew it was about to be over. So that <laughs> really happens in, in being yeah. a theater right, very few times a year. Yeah. So every time you watch a DC movie, that's usually <laughs> all the yeah. only oh. time. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, what's your grade for this? Uh, I'd also give it an A plus. It was, awesome. yeah, like I'd highly recommend it to people. It's something that it's not that really heavy hitting type of drama, but it's still something that you'd get. Like you can go see it and then say you've seen something that's going to be nominated for Oscars and will probably mm-hmm. win a few. So you can still get that without being kind of yeah bogged down by something like Manchester <laughs> by the Sea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I um. Do you awesome. want to have emotions? Okay. <laughs> LA, la la la. Do you want to be depressed? Manchester by the Sea. There we exactly. go. Exactly. <laughs> there is basically um a few things we could do, but I want to kind of guess oscar wise who what we think this will win or at least be in contention for Ooh. i'm assuming director 
best mm-hmm. original song. I'm assuming two or three mm-hmm. will be nominated from La La Land, two or three different sequences. Uh, I, I mean, this is a great year for original songs, though, too. I mean, good grief. Yeah. Moana? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, just when I didn't, I thought I hated musicals. I see Moana in this in like a three-week span. I'm like, oh, gosh, what? I, I need more. It, this is going to just be, how many more musicals are we going to get in the next three years? Like, like how many times in the next two years are we going to see on a trailer, the best musical since La La Land? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all these rip-off of musicals that are going to come out, copycat movies or whatever. I hope not, but I have a weird feeling we're going to get some crappy musicals in the next couple of years. <laughs> Uh, but I hope not. So I think Giselle will be up for it. Um, Mel Gibson directed the heck out of Hacksaw Ridge, so mm-hmm. it would not surprise me if he won that one. Um, I think Emma Stone wins. I think Ryan Gosling loses out. Um, yeah, I don't Ryan think Gosling was strong, but he wasn't Best Actor strong. No. And I think I think this wins Best Picture. If you're asking me today, uh, in the mid yeah. January third, I think this is yeah. far and away the best movie of the year. Um, so, and it's such a Hollywood movie. I mean, good grief. Yes. What, oh yeah. What yeah. credit, what Academy member is not going to just eat this up. So Hollywood yeah. loves Hollywood. If they don't know anything. Oh, yeah. So. yeah. And it'll play, it'll play, this will play pretty well on screeners too. So that helps. I mean, that'll, yeah. that'll help a lot. So. I think so. Yeah. I'm with you. I think, I think it's a, I would put pretty much any amount of money on it. Winning uh best picture director. It's going to, We'll have some tough competition. I think Gosling will get a nomination for this. Sure. I don't think he'll win. I don't think I he'll think win. Yeah. I think it's Affleck's year to to take home the prize, but I I do think he'll be nominated. And I would be very surprised if Emma Stone didn't win. So it's it's looking at a pretty good uh, pretty good February. Congratulations! I would never would have thought <laughs> from when I saw Superbad, Best Actress Emma Stone would happen, and then Academy Award nominee. Jonah Hill would happen multiple times and that like that's a weird I mean who would have thought that when we saw that movie where those two would be right now yeah. you know it's wow. been cool this year watching as much as this year has kind of sucked for movies it, I've enjoyed seeing these people who these actors and actresses that I really have always I've always really liked them and getting to see people I guess see the range or see that they're like actually very talented actors like I think Ryan Gosling had a breakout year in some people's eyes I've been a huge fan of his forever. Emma Stone, you know, got the nomination for for Birdman, but this is a completely mm-hmm. different thing. I, I like that people are seeing the range that she has. Chris Pine and Hell or High Water, things like that. Where I feel like these some of these people that I've I've been kind of uh, I don't know riding on their boat and just really pumping them up, and now uh, you know I'm being very hipster here, but I like that people are, are finally kind of uh, coming around on some of these people that I that have been championing for for quite a while. Absolutely. So, um, I think that wraps it up for La La Land. Fun times. Fun times indeed. And I guess we'll talk about this later uh, in the month, Brian. Probably mm-hmm. mention yep, it again. A couple weeks, I'm sure. Cool. All right. Let's hit a weekly recommend then. Boom. Weekly recommends. Uh, I'm going to recommend another musical. And it's one that had a lot of influence on me as well. It's called Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. It's uh, good, fun. I'm seriously recommending it. Uh, hilarious, kind of a parody on, um, 
music biopics in a way, if the, that makes sense, because of the walk the line and some weird, some other kind of Ray and some other trendy music biopics that came out for a couple years there. And but it's hilariously written and hilariously acted by John C. Riley and ensemble Jenna Fisher and and uh, ensemble. So Walk Hard is hilarious. Go see it. Fun original songs and again commentary on a lot of things in the music business and Hollywood and relationships and and it's it's total slapstick uh, movie. It's what you would expect from kind of the Will Ferrell. Uh, Seth Rogen kind of movie um, if you're into that kind of genre. So Walk Hard is is funny. I feel it's kind of a MacGruberish kind of movie. Like not a lot of people mm-hmm. saw it, but the people that mm-hmm. have will defend it till the day they die. So Walk Hard, <laughs> super funny. That's my recommend. Okay, nice, uh, Lauren. I need to rewatch that. Yeah, I you need do watch because I I haven't seen it since uh, I don't know if I saw it in theaters or on DVD shortly thereafter, and I did not like it, but. Most comedies, especially that type of comedy, tend to, for me at least, they tend to get better on second or, or third viewing. Like, there's just somewhere in there where it clicks, and you suddenly yeah. are like, "Oh, this is funny." So I, Wrong I kid died. <laughs> Wrong kid died. Uh, there's some. There's some. There's a lot of funny stuff in it, actually. But I will. I will <laughs> That's say not that what I've seen, day. so I'll have to check it out soon. You haven't seen Walk Hard? Oh, come on. No, I haven't. <laughs> wow. It's okay. It's okay. There's. I, I anticipate. I, I'm jealous that I haven't seen it because I wanted. I would love to be there for a first time. First screen. watching. Yeah. Fun. Fun. Okay, uh, Brian. What's your uh, recommendation? I'm gonna recommend a book, and I think Richard actually recommended this uh, a couple months ago, but uh, so be it. He's not here, so he can't defend himself. So yeah, where did he uh, go? By the way, he was on this episode, and he just just a cardigan emergency. Cardigan. So he had, had to be iron and press. So <laughs> Quick, yeah. quickly sew together a new cardigan. Anyway, uh, he recommend. I think he recommended this on the show. I know he told me about it. If not, so uh, the Daily Show oral history book is out there. I have never been a huge Daily Show watcher. Uh, a little bit in its infancy, and then I just I don't know. I would, who has time to watch a show like that every single day? I certainly did not. Um, but I loved it, dude. It was a really interesting read. Um, it's it's an oral history, so you get uh, several different people are, are reading the parts uh, of the interview of of, uh, of Stewart, of uh, John Stewart and uh, John Oliver and everybody else who's been involved with that show f- from uh, the end of the Kilborn days on through up to Trevor Noah. So. It's. I listened to it on audiobook. I'm sure it's a good uh, read. Read if you want to use your eyeballs as well. Uh, but it's by I think the author, or the collector is uh, Chris Smith is the guy, and uh, highly recommended. Really good read. Even again, if you're not in uh, a Daily Show fan or a big Daily Show fan, it definitely is still worth your time. So check that one out. I've heard about that book, and I am a Daily Show fan, but I don't know if I could get a book. You know, I don't have a I don't know if I have a book yeah. interest level in it. Like, is it worth I, it for somebody who vaguely, you know, kind of randomly watches The Daily Show? It's not a diehard. Yeah, see, yeah. See, to me, like, I I probably have watched I probably have watched The Daily Show. I would guess less than fifty times in my life. Like, I, I watched it a watch fair it amount maybe, when I was younger, like yeah. my late high school, yeah. early college days. But since then, not not at all. I, I yeah. mean, I really don't know the last time that I turned it on. Other than maybe mm-hmm. the occasional clip, you know, from from YouTube or something, but um, but it's it's really interesting. John Stewart himself is a very interesting person and has a. I'm really uh, really interested to see what he does with his next ten years. 
Um, but a lot of really talented people went through that show. And so you're getting interviews with Steve Carell and Ed Helms and, and John Oliver and the behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if, if you read the, uh, the Saturday night live book about 10 years ago, there was a James, uh, James Arthur Miller oral history. It's an incredible book. He also did an ESPN one. That's a little bit less incredible, but, but still pretty solid. It, it, it's like that. Like you're getting a, I think anyone who listens to the show is probably interested in kind of how, television and movies come together generally speaking and that's so that's kind of what it's all about and in addition to these very talented uh hilarious uh, personalities and people that were more involved it is a really i look i didn't read it i listened to it while i was working around the house and stuff on the first week of uh of christmas break and it's a really easy listen so i'd imagine it's a pretty easy easy read as well but uh pretty wrap me in pretty pretty quickly I, i it just hits the ground running and i i i really enjoyed it a lot Wow, cool. I'll have to check it out then. Cool. Um, what are you going to say, Lauren, uh, as far as your week recommend? Um, it's going to recommend another podcast uh, um, called The Black Tapes. So they've done two 12-episode seasons, and they're doing another one coming up sometime soon this year. And it's from the first episode I heard, it kind of reminded me of Serial, which was that really popular one about looking back at a... 15 year old uh true crime case and and like oh did he commit the crime did he not commit the crime uh but this one is instead is about unexplained paranormal activity tracked through oh. the hosts yeah it's it's so different but it's you're talking through, kids language now yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh tracked through uh like alex reagan the host's investigation of dr strand and his institute so oh. he basically has a $1 million prize for anyone who has irrefutable proof of paranormal activity. Mm. And so he has all of these uh, like white tapes basically that are things he has disproven. And then there's, he had a bunch of tapes when she was doing the first episode that she saw that are of, they're called black tapes and they're the tapes that he hasn't been able to disprove yet. Like he knows, like he has, is a complete skeptic. He has no belief in it, but he also like he just he just says like there's no science that's able to prove disprove them yet and so the first season is really going through each of those black tapes that she has that she mm. sees of his and so you go to different places where like some like there's weird paranormal ge- uh, geometry stuff in some episodes and like how that's like creating portals to bring demons in and all this stuff and then second season is really focusing on his missing wife and all this other stuff. So it, it gets really like in depth and really kind of like scary at times, but it's so, so fun. So wow. I recommend it. <laughs> oh, cool. Where is that on? It's, uh, iTunes. Oh, and cool. wherever you find podcasts. Oh, gotcha. wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I, I think you would know. I, I, I honestly, <laughs> would, yeah, wherever you find podcasts, I think I would know. Uh, is there, I, I didn't know if there was a website or something you wanted to plug, uh, for oh, it. Yeah, that's fine probably is but i don't know <laughs> oh, okay. that's fine that's fine uh actually what got me into podcasts was paranormal podcasts and like weird ufo talk and stuff like that in like late at night like coast to coast ripoff shows basically because i okay. am too poor to subscribe to coast to coast and I, they don't broadcast <laughs> it in dallas so um that that's kind of what i got into the podcasting format for and then i obviously transitioned into doing what awesome stuff we're doing now so you're welcome mm. no uh it really <laughs> did get my interest into that so i love 
I love uh, that kind of stuff. So cool. Cool. Good recommend. And uh, thank you for being here tonight. Great insight. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And we'll, uh, we'll have to invite you out when we do our Canada tour, which Perfect. is coming <laughs> I 2019. <laughs> yeah, we, have, we do. Uh, shout out to Canada, by the way. Canada we know, we know y'all are up we there. We, we love you guys. And thank you for the support because we see you. We see you. Um, but where can we find you online? Lauren. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Reviews by Lauren or on my website at TheReviewWeekly.com. And that's Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N, Lauren, yeah. normal way. Cool. Yeah. All right, Brian? You can find me on the Twitter at Beagle12. You can find my writing at MadAboutMoviesPodcast.com. I've got a couple things coming up in the next couple weeks. And don't forget to subscribe to the Mad About Movies newsletter. I think that'll hit uh, next Monday. So. Kent, oh, where oh. can we find you? You can find me online at Kent Garrison on Twitter. Find me on the show at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Leave us those five stars. It helps grow the show. Tell your friend. And uh, until next week, I, what are we talking next week, Brian? Is there anything wide release? Uh, maybe Monster Calls. Or... Okay. We'll figure something that, that's out. One, we got a couple couple. That's when we maybe got started. We got maybe two part more. Part one of our Live by Night trilogy. Oh, okay. <laughs> we got maybe two more episodes until the end of yeah. the year episode, so stay tuned. It might be sooner than later. We don't. Okay. So, uh, until then, we'll see you at the cinema. Bye. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya Salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again.